Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot. I hope that you have been doing okay during this quarantine. Today, we're going to talk about play and sports. I miss sports so much, what I wouldn't do to go to a Dodgers game. Today, Kevin Carroll, author of Rules of the Red Rubber Ball, is going to talk about how urgent it is to keep play a part of your life, even during lockdown. Uh, Before we get into it, if you want to keep in touch with the Idea Fountain uh, and know when our IG live chats are happening, get on the newsletter list, or hear past episodes, log on to juliepilot.co and we will make sure you're taken care of. I-E-E-A-F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N. This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. imagine what my life would have been like without sports. I mean, growing up, uh, I think I started as a little ballerina, but by the time I was the age of 10, I was as tall as I am now and a really big kid. And that kind of made for a clumsy and awkward ballerina. So thank God my parents switched me over to basketball and softball and I think it's with sports, especially growing up as an only child, that like I really connected with the team. And that's where I found a lot of my confidence as well. My coach, Doug Hansen, who was amazing, uh, you know, turned that that clumsy and awkward girl into a power player saying, you know, you're so tall, you're going to be our center. All I want you to do is focus on rebounds. Or in baseball saying, uh, you know, use your long legs at first base. And I want you to throw your power behind the bat. And it really shifted my whole perception on life. And now to this day, I still love sports so much, whether it's going back to dance class or we were talking a little bit um, about running and doing races and 5Ks. I've done them with so many different people on this this meetup. And um, I've really noticed since COVID-19 and quarantine, how much I've actually missed sports. Mm. Um, And I don't know that I really considered myself a sports person before this. Like I always loved going to games and I am very competitive, but I wasn't watching SportsCenter at night. Mm. And so lucky for me, my friend Rose from Optimus introduced me to Kevin Carroll, who is the author of Rules of the Red Rubber Ball, and many other books, but he's actually an expert on sports and play. And so I'm excited to catch up with you today. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Julie. I'm excited too. It's an exciting opportunity to share. And you guys are actually seeing, this is my creative bunker that I have right here. So I'm actually broadcasting from my office space and converted it into a little bit of a broadcast studio because of all the virtual stuff that we have to do. So I got lots of eye candy for you back here. So a lot of things. And if I, if need be, I can grab stuff and show you things. So if you see something that kind of sparks your interest, just say, hey, Kevin, what's that back there? And I'll grab it and tell the story because everything in these bookshelves and all around me actually have a story attached to them. I love it. And I really love also um, uh, 
that we have people here with us. That's part of what has made the Idea Fountain so special is usually I fill up my house with people I love and we do this fireside chat and it's the energy of bringing everybody together. So I would like to really encourage everybody to participate. Whether you want to throw a question or a comment in the chat or at the end, turn on the microphone. I'm, I'm curious, Kevin, does that come from sports? Because I'm the type of person that always raises my hand, always has a question, always jumps in. And I know there's so many other people that like just sit back and be quiet. Is it going for that rebound? <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you're that way. <laughs> so definitely. Yeah, you're always about reaching for something, right? And so yeah. it just so happens that as you're reaching for things, right, you're also bringing others towards you because you're reaching to the idea, you're reaching for questions you're sharing so i think that's part of that when you rebound right there's always an outlet afterwards too right unless you're doing your putbacks yeah yeah um so i, I mentioned uh kevin you and i are new friends but we caught on like fire in the first five minutes that uh we started talking rose definitely knows what she's doing um you have a fascinating background. Will you give everybody a little taste of how you got to where you are now? So Yasmin and I actually started a brief conversation when she was talking about the work that she's involved with and she works with youth who have had to deal with trauma. And so that's my backstory is that as a child, both my parents were addicts and they abandoned their three boys. So me and my two brothers were abandoned by my mom and dad and we were rescued by strangers and sent back to my grandparents' house in Philadelphia. We were put on a bus, it was a 200 mile bus ride. My older brother was eight, I was only six and my little brother was three. And we went back alone with no parents or guardians and only the bus driver agreeing to get us back to Philadelphia safely. My grandparents took us in. And so I tell people that, you know, that was the moment that I started to understand the importance of people coming to your rescue and believing in you because it was a stranger in this town in Virginia that wanted to help us. An eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And then my grandparents agreeing to take us in. And then from that point in the neighborhood, there was a playground. And that was the first sanctuary for me. And the playground in our neighborhood was the energy center. But even more so, the playground was this really magical place where there was community. And so everything for me was about how do I find a way to belong and be attached to something because I don't have a family structure that's traditional. And mm -hmm. so I started at the playground, then I got my public library card and I love the public library and reading. So I have two places and then school became a really magical place because of my love of reading. I became a really good student and teachers noticed that in me. So I had the ball in the playground, I had books in the public library in school. And then I met probably the most important person in my life my best friend's mom, Miss Lane. We meet because of a scuffle at the playground, actually, which is pretty funny. So Miss Lane became really important in my life. And because of that moment, she became what I call my CEO, my chief encouragement officer of my dreams. I love that. And Miss Lane and I had a friendship for 46 years. She was my most important person. I always tell people I'm well-preserved, right? The engine might look good, but the chassis is definitely rusty. I'm well-preserved. People start going, 46 years? Wait, wait. Carry the nine, the one. Yeah, so I'll be 62 this year. So I always tell people, yes, there's some lotion we can sell too to y'all. So if you want that lotion, I can hook you up. It's called the Forever Young line. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm sure that has a lot to do with play too, right? Keeping you young. Well, your inside is reflected on your outside. 
you definitely got out of your neighborhood and then um, you got into the military. Is that right? 10 years in the Air Force. And traveled all over the world. How many languages do you speak? So I was a language translator. I, I tell people I was black born, black Jason born back in the day. So I speak Serbian, Croatian, Czech, in German, I can read Russian. I went to Monterey to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey at the Presidio. That's where I went. But the funny thing, I dropped Spanish after five minutes in high school. Oh my gosh. It's funny. <laughs> we actually have Mo from Germany jumped on, so maybe she can test your German in the chat. Oh, wo wohnen Sie auf Deutschland, Mo? Ich wohne in Berlin, Kevin. Berlin. Oh, wunderbar, wunderbar. Yes, the Bundesliga started back up today. Right. Oh, look at you in the know. Oh, come on. My favorite team to say the name, Borussia Mönchengladbach. That's my favorite okay, team. Okay, okay, okay. And you right? pronounced it all right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my, my, my Deutsch is less. My Deutsch is less. I can confirm that German is amazing. I can. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Natürlich, natürlich. Yes. <laughs> So, Kevin, as you were in the military, you were a linguist and traveling all over the world, but I don't think I really understood this, that there's like sports leagues in the military too, right? And that's actually why I joined the Air Force. I wanted to play foosball, soccer over in Germany. I didn't have the money or the means, but I said, oh, the Air Force might send me over there being naive at 19, 20 years old, right? And so I figured I could get to Germany that way and it worked out. But I, all along the way, I discovered that I had this gift and talent with languages. And so that allowed me to actually excel in the military. And I got to play over in Germany. I played Kreisliga, Mo. I actually got to Kreisliga. So I got to that level in Germany, playing at that level. Amazing. How long did you play on that? Did you play for in the Bundesliga? Drei Jahre. Drei Jahre. Yeah, wow. for FC, FC Raunen was my team that I played for over yeah. there. And I also played for the Air Force team. And... I got hurt in the Air Force game, and that's how I got into athletic training, physio. And then after the military, you were able to continue your training career in the NBA, right? Yeah, so I got my undergraduate degree while I was in the Air Force in athletic training and got out of the military and worked at the high school level in Philly. I moved back to Philly. And the collegiate level, I worked at St. Joe's University. And that happened to be where their 76ers practiced. And I got to know the organization and they asked me to interview for the head athletic trainer job with the Sixers. And I ended up getting it after only five years of leaving the military. I was the head athletic trainer, only the third black athletic trainer in the history of the NBA. Wow. Now, it's interesting to me because um, you worked with Allen Iverson and uh, I tend to mostly know Seattle and Los Angeles sports players. But I've always paid attention to Allen Iverson because of the mentoring work I've done. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is right. I think that his mom maybe had him when he was 15 and he grew up and had a lot of lifestyle distractions. And at one point got into a bit of trouble and um, thank goodness got that second chance, right? That not everybody does. Um, we're gonna talk about your rules of the red rubber ball coming up, but just as we're in the Allen Iverson era, I'm curious, what was your takeaway from working with him? I love Bubba Chuck, that's my man's. I had him his rookie year. He only, I always tell people he only had one tattoo, right? And a short fade haircut, didn't even have cornrows. 
And I was on the bench the night he crossed Jordan. That night he crossed Jordan in the game. I was on the bench that night. He told me he was going to do it. So that was really remarkable. They said, Kev, Kev, if I get him on an ISO, I'm going to hit him twice and dot him with a J. And sure enough, he did that. But the funny part, we were losing by like 20 points. So it didn't really matter. But you would have swore we won the game. (laughs) So, But that guy was a special, special athlete. Like, I mean, remarkable. He was all-state football player as a quarterback, all-state basketball player, just a remarkable athlete. He was different. That's so special. And then while you were training, you got recruited for another role, right? Well, there was while I was training, I got an opportunity because I actually cursed out Vlade Divac in the middle of a basketball game in Serbian that uh, the NBA Inside Stuff did a special feature about me. And someone from Nike actually saw that. That was like actual team strategy. Well, I was at, in the middle of the game, it, got, it actually happened, that the coach actually said, don't you speak that big guy's language, distract him, say something about his mom or dad or sister or brother, and distract him so we can come up with a better defense. That's what my head coach actually told me to do, and I, I knew all the good obscenities to talk about his fam. So he actually stopped in the middle of the game and walked towards our bench and was really shocked that this black guy from Philly spoke fluent Serbian, and he invited me to work with the Yugoslavian national basketball team for the 96 Olympic games. Wow. That's awesome. And then that, is that where you got the attention? Uh, where you got Nike's attention? Yes. It wasn't even planned, but NBA did a special feature on me on NBA inside stuff. And so someone saw that at Nike and then another executive actually invited me to do a little Nike event. And he pulled me aside, Howard White, and he said to me, you're going to be at Nike one day. And I remember being so like, man, why don't we be at Nike for I'm head athletic trainer for the 76ers, dude? I ain't working in your gym. And he says, no, you're not going to work in the gym. You're going to do something different there. We think you can add value in a unique way. And so Howard was the catalyst for me to get to Nike and to create my own position. Wow. It should uh, be noted. It should be noted. Howard White is the person who convinced Nike to sign Michael Jordan. I, I mean, I will take every Michael Jordan story I can get right now. It really feels bizarre and out of character, but I've been missing so sports so much, as I think a lot of people are, that I've become absolutely obsessed with The Last Dance. And this visual isn't great for a podcast, but I'm, look at, I got my Dennis Rodman Lakers shirt, <laughs> like a big poser. Uh, Corey Notes is giving me a thumbs up. Um, but, you know, when I started reading your book, it made sense to me because it's not that I'm missing sports as much, I'm missing the play. And you really think play is important because play is connected to dreaming. Oh, absolutely. It, it really is. When we're, I always like to say when my body's in motion, my mind is free. Yeah. And so when, my, when I'm moving, movement is my mojo. And when I'm moving, my ideas start popping. And so I think for a lot of people, play can be an avocation or hobby or movement, literally physical play. But when you're in those moments, you open up synapses. There's a lot of science to support that, that allows you to come up with ideas. And so finding time for fun is really important. Yeah. Uh, I I think especially with quarantine right now, um, I have a friend, Alex, and she said recently, depression 
can sneak up on you like a warm blanket, right? Mm. Mm, I'm going to take care of myself today. I'm not going to do this. But it's that movement that's so important. Well, you know what's interesting? Um, the National Institute for Play, Dr. Stuart Brown, has done studies on this, and he said the opposite of fun and play is depression. Wow. So the more that we start to recognize if you allow yourself or you minimize that, then you are actually welcoming the blues, right? Depression, all of that. And so you have to find time for fun, light, getting air. Movement really is important in everyone's life, especially right now dealing with the pandemic. What advice do you have for people who maybe are like not as motivated necessarily to do an online workout, but like they want to participate in something and they're stuck at home. Like I feel so bad for my friends that are going through this isolation by themselves because yeah, you know, at least I can convince Julian, my boyfriend to like play a game with me or have that extra motivation to like go for a long walk with somebody. What, what do you have for people that are really feeling the isolation? Well, there's a lot of those apps that allow you to play with someone, words with friends. Um, you can do the crossword things. You can do um, solitaire where you're playing with someone else, actually, right? There's card games. There's all kinds of ways for you to pitch yourself against someone else. But also just finding some things that are, you know, individual things. Jigsaw puzzles have become a huge thing. Yeah. Huge, right? People are picking up little hobbies right now. So take advantage of the fact that you could learn knitting, right? Just going outside and getting fresh air, right, is probably the most fundamental thing to do, right? Is just to give yourself some, a chance to breathe some fresh air. And I think then you can start looking at ideas that might be a little more complex. But I think most importantly, find an avocation or hobby that brings you joy. What brings you joy? And let's talk about competition a little bit. Uh, what do you think people really get from competition? Oh, you get, you get those endorphins popping and everything, right? And a sense of accomplishment, right? I think everyone wants to feel a sense of accomplishment or mastery of something. And also, I, I love the Olympics because, you know, the Olympic idea was all about personal best, Right? Mm -hmm. Arate is the word that they use, right? Your personal virtue, your personal best, right? That's what it was. It wasn't pitting you against the other competitors. It's what can I do my best at? What's my best for today? And so I think there's something really magical about how are we actually looking at our personal best each day and grading ourselves that way versus against someone else or someone else's life or how someone else is living their best life and all those things? No. How are you living yours? Yeah. And maybe. Some days you have a little tougher day than others. That's okay. That's okay. Andrea talks about that a lot in yoga, right? That you just need to focus on what's on your mat. And the most advanced yogis are the ones doing the modifications, right? And taking care of their bodies. Now, I'm curious how you feel. Like, I put being competitive, I'm really competitive, and being passionate, right, up on, like, the same shelf and i feel like the world has transitioned more into a state of fairness right like everybody gets a trophy right everybody wins and sometimes that passion and competitiveness especially in the workplace can be deemed aggressive uh how do you feel about uh that 
sense of fairness or equalness, especially as it relates to kids playing sports? So I do think what's really important is, you know, being inclusive and inviting people is really important and sports does that, right? But the competition piece, I really do think what happens in the workplace, if we have business goals, we have to understand we're competing. We're competing against, you know, an adversary, a foe, you know, known or unknown, right? It could be our bottom line. It could be profitability, whatever it might be, but you're competing. And so I think you have to understand that fundamentally when you are entering a business. Now, if you have your own business, then you can set up the parameters of what success looks like on your own terms. But be aware, right? And the pandemic has pointed this out. A lot of people's businesses were barely holding on and this just tipped them. Just tipped them in a place where they couldn't keep their businesses going, right? And then they realized, wow, maybe I wasn't competing the way I needed to. Or maybe I didn't have a plan for this, but actually who could have planned for this, right? And so what does resiliency look like right now, I think is really important. But I think when you look at businesses and you join a business, you're going to be competing. You're competing for consumer awareness, profitability, bottom line. But I'm not a person who chases titles. I've never been that way, right? I always wanted to have reach and impact. I always wanted to have a way of leaving a place better. And that was the way that I measured my success. And look, if I shine, you shine was my attitude. That was always my attitude. If I can help you shine, I'm going to get mine. So I was never chasing titles or this monetary piece. I was looking at abundance in a very different way, but that was my way. I never would begrudge someone else if they had a different type of an agenda. But listen, you know what? I ain't getting on your train. I'm not joining that. That's not me. You go do you. Yeah. You go do your thing. I think also like another little tip I've found uh, during COVID-19 time with competition is I will compete with myself when every single day just seems to be like a repeat, right? Like that's the way a lot of times I'll motivate myself to do chores or something. Like if I do something for this long or if I get these 10 things done, I'll let myself watch the movie. It was really funny. I told myself last week that I started to get an itch that I wanted to order a basketball hoop for the front driveway. And I was like, I don't need it. And then I told myself, well, let me get a basketball first. And if I dribble to the mailbox every single day for a week, then I'll pull the trigger and get the basketball hoop. That only lasted like six hours. (laughs) Basketball hoops (laughs) on the way. But I'm so excited just to like go outside and shoot hoops again and have that play. Well, there's a lot of uh, research around creating tiny habits. There's actually a book entitled that Mm -hmm. where you create these tiny habits and those build, there's a building blocks where you actually start to create that discipline around it. And I think so many times what people do when they're trying to do goal setting and they're competing with themselves, right, or trying to create a new habit, that you actually overwhelm yourself, right? And so finding a way to chip away at it and build a discipline around something, right, really is the way to go about it. And so I think you're you're spot on with what you're doing that way. But ultimately, the competition starts with you. And how are you bettering yourself? How are you raising your own game, right? And how are you repeating that behavior on the regular? 
And I think what I've learned from top level athletes, great business leaders, is they have a certain discipline about what they're doing, but they're not wagging their finger and telling you should be the same way. I'm going to challenge you to raise your game. Look at the last dance and Michael Jordan, right? If people have been watching that, people have been saying, oh, God, he was a bad teammate. He was so hard on the other players. He wasn't. What he was saying is that if you're going to be a part of this, you got to raise your game. You're not, I'm not expecting you to be me, but I want you to be the best you. And I'm going to push you to get to that place. And you have to be willing to fight for that. And I think that's what I appreciate about his competitive spirit is that if you look at his teammates, they, they, you know, they call him all kind of MFers and everything, right? And he was hard on me, but guess what he got? He got the best out of me. Yeah, that's what is really interesting because when I was growing up, I started working in radio really young and radio is competitive because you're competing against all the other stations for a share of advertising and stuff. And in the 90s, like I definitely had people that I learned from that, you know, would cuss me out and throw things at me. But some people say that like the millennials or Gen Z people are just too sensitive. How do you feel about that? Well, you brought up, you know, earlier the whole idea of everybody getting a participation trophy and right. all of those things. But I'm going to point out something about millennials and Gen Z. They've gone through 9-11, the Great Recession, school shootings like, like nobody's business, especially in the United States, and now a pandemic. Right. Guess who's on the front line doing a lot of the healthcare workers and all the people that helping to keep people alive and safe? They're millennials. You're right. We have. So I think they've raised their game. They've raised their game. They have, right? So I think they've been demonstrating something that people didn't think they had right? because of all those other things. So I'm impressed with them. And there's even been some talk, is this the next greatest generation that we're actually watching grow right, right now? That's why I love having conversations like this because I'm not always right. And that's a really fair... Yeah. That's a fair perspective uh, and a great way to look at it. So I, I want to talk about your um, rules of the red rubber ball. And um, I think it's fascinating. I would say I would recommend to anybody to order several copies of this because it's a really fun book and it would be a great gift because it's the type of book, even though it's, it's a tiny little book, it's um, kind of like a coffee table book. It's something that you want to pick up and touch and feel. And it's like no book I've ever seen in my life. Like the different fonts, the different colors. Uh, there's vellum over some pictures. What was it like putting this together? So when I first put the proposal together, it got rejected by every publisher because they said it was over-designed and too creative, the idea for the book. Oh. So I ended up having to self-publish it. Wow. And I self-published it and it took off all by word of mouth. And someone at ESPN happened to get a copy of it. And that's how I got the book deal at ESPN. It was by serendipity, by, you know, this wonderful serendipity, by chance, whatever you want to call it. And so I think that little book, which has won 23 design awards, mm. really created this energy around how I wanted to represent me in a book form that there's surprise and delight on every page. There's unexpected moments, there's pullouts. And so I like to say this. So I always say 
it's a little book with a really big message. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is my read out loud. This is my read out loud version of it, right? And so I really do think it's important that, you know, sometimes we create stories that deliver the unexpected. Right. I, I want to go through um, some of your rules of uh, the red rubber ball. There are seven of them. And um, this is a plot twist. I, I emailed Kevin and I said, are you into numerology? Which is something I've never asked a sports guy. And because it's funny, I'll do my numerology side. I have a whole idea found an episode on numerology. I love doing people's birthdays. Um, but it's very kind of freaky. The rules of the red rubber ball almost pair up exactly to the themes of different numbers in numerology. And that's a pure coincidence, you said, right? Yes, pure coincidence. So... But but there is, I am a lover of numbers also. Okay. And so I always pay attention to the angel number, 444. Oh, yeah. So I always pay attention to that. I see it all kinds of places. I probably have multiple different examples within this room where I've saved it, dollar bills, license plates, um, just, you know, happenstance on the, you know, on the phone, whatever it might be. The time is 444. I always click that. But they tell you that's the presence of angels when you see that. And you should always basically acknowledge that the angels are present then, right? That they're watching over you. Uh, what is the month and day of your birthday? Don't need the year. Just month August, and day. August 31st. August 31st. So that's eight. And 31 adds up to a four. So that's 12, which is 13. Or Sorry, 12 is a one and a two is a three plus four for 2020 is a seven. It's, it's really interesting. I have good news for you, Kevin. You have been in a seven year this whole last year, which is uh, all about looking in and spirituality, but it can be a lower energy year. And you're about to flip into your eight year, which is career, money, and power. Come so on now. I bet you by the Come on now. when you get like- Snap that up. Yeah, when the world starts to normalize a little bit and you can like get out in the world again, you're gonna feel like you shot out of a cannon. So I have a few friends that have been in seven years this year as they've been in quarantine and they're like, no coincidence. So mm. let's talk about this. Um, rule number one, now numerology. One is about new beginnings and your number one is commit to it. Don't talk about it, be about it. And Lots of talkers and very few doers. Which one are you? That's the question. Commit and that to could it. be work. That could be a new workout. Anything. Anything. It could be committing to a bettering your relationship with someone. It could be work. It could be workout. It could be any number of things. But it is about don't talk about it, be about it. Commit to it. Well, and then that leads into number two, which I really love because I think asking for help is so important. And you mentioned relationships and numerology too is all about relationships. But the second rule of the red rubber ball is seek out encouragers. Yeah, so a closed mouth don't get fed. That's what I was told as a child, right? Speak up 
And so we all need encouragers. So that's the way I honored Miss Lane, who was my CEO, my chief encouragement officer. But we all need a Miss Lane in our life. We need someone who believes in us, but they also hold us accountable for our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. So seek out those encouragers. Not people who just gas you up and tell you you're amazing, but they challenge you with your hopes and dreams and aspirations. Yeah. And I think um, you just never know, right? Where like everybody matters so much when you're gonna meet somebody or connect somebody that pushes you in a certain way. Um, after we go through the rules, we're gonna take some time for Q&A, but I love everybody that's in the fireside chat. So I'm excited to hear what pops up from those encouragers. And then this is so strange. In numerology, three is all about creativity and communication. And yours is work out your creative muscle. Work out your creative muscle, right? So always staying in beta is the way I look at that, right? How are you always updating you? How are you always improving? I always let people know we're the greatest app ever created. We're an amazing app as human beings. We should always be in that mindset of beta where we're always improving, we're always updating. I wonder if most people think of creativity when they think of sports. Oh my gosh, they should, right? Right? Yeah. People are painting a masterpiece when they're playing sports. They get a tabula rasa, they get a blank canvas and they paint a masterpiece on it every single time. And if you're really paying attention to the game with a different eye, you can see them literally painting, if you will, with their movement, with their magic, with their decision-making, right? It doesn't matter about the win or loss, but it's just watching the competition play out, decisions being made. It's beautiful to watch sports. That's awesome. And then in numerology, four is hard work, putting one foot in front of the other, nose to the grindstone. And for yours, number four, prepare to shine. Get your shine on, right? Hard work never goes unrewarded. So you got to just keep putting the work in and trust and believe that that hard work will pay off. And I think a lot of people have specific outcomes they expect, but that's not going to happen. You just got to trust and believe that hard work never goes unrewarded and it's going to tip in your favor and probably in an unexpected way. What recommendations do you have for people that are setting goals? I love when I went from working for a giant corporation to a tech startup. We really reevaluated the business plan every 90 days because the marketplace was changing so much. We couldn't really look at the five-year, the two-year you know, plan. We had to keep looking at every 90 days. What's your recommendation for pre preparation and setting goals? So I always think about it in this way is how do you stay agile and nimble to pivot? This is a great example of the pandemic, right? It's challenging people to pivot right now. And so how are you going to pivot so that you can stay in the game, right? Figuratively and literally. And so I think this is a wonderful opportunity for people to tap into their imagination, new possibilities, and you have to have creative confidence. You have to be confident that I'm an expert and I can keep growing. I can keep getting better. And so that's what you have to be. And I, it goes back to improving, right? And not settling that I've made it. I'm kind of a big deal attitude. No, we're always in beta. We always have an opportunity to get better. Yeah, that's very inspiring. And five is speak up. Closed mouth, don't get fed. Speak up. That's what my Nana would say all the time, right? Speak up. There's a great quote. You get in life what you have the courage to ask for. Yeah. 
Yeah, and your voice matters. Um, so in numerology, five is expect the unexpected. But in the rules of the red rubber ball, six is expect the unexpected. And I love, I saw in the book, because numerology, I'm in a five year. And I love being in control and preparing. And I haven't been able to be this whole year. But you put in one part, you said respect the unexpected right yes 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 so when it does happen the unexpected respect it right don't throw your hands up like and be flustered about it respect the fact that that could happen and lean into that so how are we going to navigate this how are we going to find a way to peek around the corner how are we going to bring that confidence and also courage right because the unexpected requires a bit of courage as you're leaning into that and dealing with something that was not planned, right? Not anticipated. And I think the more that we have that confidence and we bring a level of courage, we can navigate difficult situations or the unexpected. So you have to respect it because when it comes, Hey, okay, it's here. So now what? Right. And your number seven is maximize the day. 86,400 seconds are gifted to you every single day. You see the light of day. That's 86,400 opportunities. So what are you going to do with them? I think it's cool. Like, you know, I, I definitely hear some people say things like sleep when you die and stuff like that. But I think even with maximizing the day, it is important to rest and take care of yourself, but be intentional about it. Self-care is going to be so important because your energy is your social currency. It's how you show up. So if you're not taking good care of you and you're not able to show up with the requisite energy to pursue what it is you want, you're going to keep bumping up against some difficult, right? There's always going to be these barriers. So I always say the energy is the most important thing. Taking good care to replenish your energy. Self-care is really critical now that you're dealing with the unexpected. And if you take good care of you, you can show up and repeat and repeat and repeat. And next thing you know, you're stringing together some good days. You grade yourself at the end of every day, I always say too. Is that a go or no-go day? What went well for that day? What were three things? Why not measure that? Why not write down three things that went well each day and start looking at what happened over a course of time, how you strung together three really good things every single day so that you're not laboring in the difficulties, you're celebrating what you've been able to actually elevate. That's awesome. Well, I would like to take this time to open up the chat to the group. And I would love just to hear from a few people if they have uh, questions for Kevin about sports, play, or rules of the red rubber ball. And um, I also am super interested to hear about how sports or the lack of sports is impacting people uh, during this time. Uh, Corey notes, I see you're unmuted. Uh, what are your thoughts? I actually wanted to ask Kevin about you know, I want to ask you your thoughts on the sports industry and COVID-19 on the mentality of athletes and how they return to competition and how you feel that'll affect them when it is time to get back to it. That's a great question, Corey, because I really think there has to be a fundamental shift to the mindset of the athlete. I really think that athletes are going to have to get prepared for no fans. Right. And that's going to be for a while. So how am I competing without that energy that I receive from fans? So how do I view that my competition has always been against the opponent? 
it's not just been, you know, you actually fabricate the fact that, well, the fans give me that juice, right? And we hear that a lot. But if you're a true competitor, you lining up against that person in front of you. So now we're really going to see if you rely on, you know, that hype machine and that, you know, whatever that belief system that you've been told versus are you truly just towing the line against who's in front of me? And I think they're going to have to change their mindset. I think their mental approach is going to be different. But I also think that there's going to be some surprise things that we can actually unlock to assist them with creating an environment that makes them feel like they're in, you know, a kind of elevated environment with fans. And I, I actually brought this up with Julie. Look at esports. The majority of the people that are watching esports are online watching it. And you get millions of people watching esports. So how can traditional sport actually tap into that? Yeah, I, I loved what you were saying earlier uh, before we started the Zoom too, Kevin. You were saying to me, like you wish that sports would innovate a little bit. Like the more people that they could see online or in a chat, like maybe they could add in fan volume or like things for the other teams. Yeah, what if we, we could actually develop an app where based on the amount of chatter or interaction that's happening from your fan base, you actually pipe in more sound. So the opponent's fan base could get their cheers going or you know, the home crowd could get their cheers going based on the level of interaction that's happening. I think that could be really fascinating, being able to develop an app and then it's plugged into sound, right? Ambient sound. So I think that could be really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, I have another question about, we were talking about rest, but I'm curious, when you were actually a trainer in the NBA, what was the training cadence for working out, like maybe scrimmaging versus having that recovery time? So I would say, and there's been some articles written about this, that sleep is probably the biggest opponent to NBA athletes. There's been a lot of articles written about that. And back in the 90s, there was no real science being used around recovery the way it is now. So athletes would be coming into towns, doing back-to-backs, landing at two in the morning and eating in the middle of the night, right? And staying up till six. So coaches would have to make their own decisions around what rest looked like, what recovery looked like. There wasn't a lot of science then, but now look at what's going on present day. There's amazing levels of science around why sleep, they're monitoring sleep. They're giving them, you know, they're bringing in sleep pods to locker rooms, all these things that you're starting to see. Recovery is that unlock now for performance. And so for a lot of coaches, more work, more work, more work. That's what we need. And so they're having to change their mindset around it too. But I think what you're going to start to see is more of the science, which is going to allow the athletes to be able to show up better. So I've been really impressed with how many coaches have been adapting to accepting analytics and science more and recognizing that's going to maximize performance of the athletes. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question uh, for one of my friends that uh, is a parent on the line. What advice do you have for parents whose kids don't necessarily take to sports? right? That, uh, you know, don't necessarily want to join a basketball team or um, a baseball team, but you really want them to know that teamwork. And you want 
you know, if they're scared, maybe you want to push them past that. What advice do you have for parents? Well, I think it starts off with just what kinds of groups do they enjoy being around? Maybe they like to read books, right? So that you could actually have a way where you're reading books, but you're also earning book time or screen time with movement. And so there's an amazing organization called Playworks. They're based out of the Bay Area, but they're a national organization. And they have a, just a plethora of play games. They have a playbook, actually, that they designed, which is really inspiring. They actually did one for Play at Home right now. And what they do is they have a series of games, and they can actually help you with all kinds of ways to engage your child in individual activities, group activities, virtual things with a friend. So you can actually be doing activities online with a friend that don't bring in that team competition, but it's all about how can you better each other. But if you have in mind the idea that that's unlocking more reading time, um, more things that you want to do, we'll, we, we will gift you that by doing movement. And so there's a lot of different programs out there that look at movement that way that movement can be an unlock to performance in whatever it is that you want to do, science, math, dance, art, whatever. But we know that your physical well-being is so important to you being successful in whatever you want. So that's really how you can look at movement first. And then if they are curious about being a part of a team, a lot of times they say start with individual activities. So mm -hmm. tennis, golf, right? Look, cornhole, Right. They got all kinds of stuff. Axe throwing. Maybe you don't want to do that. But yeah, axe throwing. I've been watching that. Right. But individual things first. And then you start seeing if there's an interest in team things. I saw Martha's um, child kind of poke their head in, which was really nice and stuff. So I appreciate that, Martha. Okay, that's awesome. Well, you know, Martha actually, I think, has a question. Uh, go ahead, Martha. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Luce is always very curious. She's like, is this work time again, or is this, like, free time for you right now? I'm like, no, it's, it's free time. Um, but I love your setup that you have, and I keep getting drawn to that orange poster behind you, and I think it says, like, a kid's book about belonging. So I'd love yes. to just hear about what that is, um, so it's this book, but you know I like big books, right? So that's the big version back there. But it's my latest book that I did. It's a whole kids book series. So if you go on a kidsbookabout.com, the topics are amazing. Anxiety, depression, creativity, money, belonging, racism, but it's all these topics. COVID-19, they actually have an ebook about how to talk to your kids about COVID-19, but the whole idea is how do we break it down to really fundamental conversations that a child would understand? I see she just keeps poking her head. That's so good. So yeah, so this is my latest book that I actually did, a kid's book about belonging. I'm so glad that that drew your eye back there. So that's the big book version back there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I think those are like great conversations to have with kids. You know, she's, she's six years old, but we often talk about what's happening and wanting to keep it real with her, but also break it down for her in a very gentle and approachable way, but just be honest about the conversations we have with her. And she's, she's our only one. So, you know, she's 
she's stuck in this house with two adults right now, not getting that like playtime with kids, which is so valuable. And so I, I appreciate that. you. No, that's brilliant. I think that's really great. You would love that series. They're really wonderful books, beautifully illustrated. The inspiration for the book series actually came from rules of the red rubber ball. Actually, it's my son's first friend. When we moved here 23 years ago, I've known Jelani since he was 13. And now he's 36 years old, has his own family, and he's a brilliant creative. And he came up with this idea. So I was the first author that he actually worked with to do the book series. That's awesome. Okay, I think we have a few more. Rose has a question. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Rose. Um, so Kevin, we worked on a project together called Learn Your Game. And there's actually a, a funny story that ties back to sport because all it, it was a Nike project and Darla actually was the lead on that. So just, you know, that little six degrees of separation, Julie. Um, we, we created a program during what Nike called World Basketball Festival to really reach out to the underserved community in Chicago South Side. And learn your game sounds like you're going to show up and it's going to be basketball camp. And it wasn't. And so these kids showed up and here's this guy, Kevin, talking to them about his story and about play. They got to play basketball later with Common and a few other people. So it was pretty cool. But the stories that we heard and um, he had spoken word artists come and teach these kids how to tell their story really was like, I mean, I had to go to a corner and cry and I'm supposed to be actually like managing this process because it was that moving. Um, my question kind of ties to that. As we watch all of the things happening during COVID, people of color um, getting impacted in a much stronger way, the continued levels of racism and the children that really do seek that playground and that ball, not having access to it. How do we bring your message to, to more of those people? Because they also, in those communities, as we learn, don't always have computers or internet. Um, and maybe their moms won't take them to the library. So that always like weighs heavy on my mind since, since we did that project six years ago, seven years ago. How, how, how maybe are you doing that? Or how can we maybe do that? So. Rose, I think you're spot on and I've been very concerned about that because when I saw the images of them taking basketball hoops down from the backboards, it broke my heart. I understood why, but it broke my heart. I understood exactly what was going on, but I know that's such an avenue for a lot of young people, especially in urban settings around the United States. It's really challenging. So you take away the one outlet that they had, right, to themselves physically, or maybe to deal with some of their challenging things. And oh my gosh, it was really challenging for me to see that. But I think what we can do is we have to offer hope. We have to offer hope. And if we can find a way to share hope with them, in whatever capacity, so looking at all the different platforms and what they're being able to find. Kids are clever, right? So they find ways to get online. They're really clever, right, how they're doing it but we have to find ways to reach them. So using every platform possible, be it from podcasts, from you know, different um, podcast platforms that they're using, TikTok, any of these new social platforms that they're doing, we just have to get these messages out to them. 
And I think the more intentional we are about that, then we can be more hopeful of what we're going to be dealing with coming out to the other side of this. Because people need to be thinking, these kids are going to be changed, right? You've been depriving them of movement, right, which is a really important thing for them. And so I think what we're starting to see is youth sports and youth activities have really been paying the price for the pandemic, right? And a lot of these programs, what's been happening is the coaches have actually been so concerned about their kids, they've been doing one-on-one conversations just calling them. So they said, I know at least I can call them. So they've been doing calling, they're FaceTiming, they're trying to find ways to just stay attached and giving hope. So I know that there was someone, I don't know, Yasmin or someone brought up PAL, Police Athletic Leagues, right? These coaches that are associated with all these different youth programs, they're the ones that care about the kids so much. They're finding really clever ways to stay connected and give them hope to get to the other side and then they're going to have to love them up and it might be in a different way, but they're just looking for that opportunity later. So I think all of us can do our part, right? And be just mindful and aware that this is affecting this next generation in a really meaningful and big way. And just be a little more patient and empathetic towards them. And understand that everybody doesn't have space and room, right? And there are a lot of people pot on top of each other in urban settings. And these kids, you're going to have to be a bit more patient with them when we come out of this. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some PTSD. Uh, you, you shouted out Yasmin, and I know she actually has a question too. Go ahead, Yasmin. Yeah, my question, I think, is twofold. One, um, you did, um, we, did have, we do have a soccer league, uh, and um, we went from serving 250 kids in a year, obviously now, that's even less. We, we have 50 students who enrolled in our spring league and out of those, we're now looking at 25. And even now, only out of those 15 and 25, 15 are currently active. And I, talking about ways of being creative, we're doing you know, sports challenges and soccer challenges online and you know, post your best you know, kick or post your best um, you know, sporting gear or moves. But we're noticing that slowly but surely these numbers are starting to trickle down and we're starting to lose interest from our students. So I guess the question is, how do we keep them involved? Because they're interested, right? These are students who signed up to be in the soccer team. Um, and obviously a huge role is they actually want to play and that's not necessarily available right now. So we're trying our best in trying to keep them engaged with different activities. But do you have any suggestions as far as ways to use the internet or ways to use telehealth to keep them involved? Um, or do we look at other sports? Do we involve something else other than soccer or, you know, any thoughts? I love the idea that you just said. What about crossover? What's the crossover look like for them to actually try another sport? So this is a chance for them to actually use their muscles differently and to try something else. And we've all said that specialization is not necessarily a great thing for young people and they need to be more well-rounded so that they use their bodies in different planes of movement. So this could be an opportunity for them to try another sport. And so maybe you ask them, what would you be interested in and actually have them start learning skills in these other sports. And so that could be really interesting opportunity for them to do the crossover, if you will. That's awesome. Thank you, Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and I think we have one more question and then we're going to wrap it up. Corey, what do you have? 
Uh, I just wanted to know, hello, hello, um, how to promote competition within a team. Uh, I'm at my company and we want to promote competition within, but we also want people to be helping each other out. Um, and I feel like there's this kind of dichotomy that we have at the company, like both like this competition, but also helping each, helping each other out and wanting other people to perform as well. So you could actually, Corey, I think it's really interesting is, you know, creating team competitions where you break them into small teams where now they have to rely on each other, but then they're competing against another team. So smaller teams of you know, two, three people, no more than five, then you get a lot of collaboration and exchange really works well, right? And you create whatever foe, whatever adversary, whatever goal you want, but then you're competing against another team and you could actually make it like March Madness, right? Where you start them off in brackets and they work their way through to the championship. You've got two different sides, but it could be around a design charrette or a creative problem or something you're trying to, to get better at as a company, but you could set it up like brackets. And so you're seeing all these like best films, best goals, you're seeing all these things that you're doing online right now, you could do a similar thing, best idea to get us to this, you know, outcome, right? And then they do that. And then everybody's voting. So you could use poll everywhere, whatever, and people are actually voting on the ideas and they're who's going to advance. So you could do something like that. That's a really good idea. I, I love, I love, um, we do some team challenges at work, right? And like sometimes it'll be around health and fitness and the Apple Watch over like a certain amount of time, but it adds so much camaraderie, right? Just these simple challenges to bring everybody together. So um, in the spirit of sports, I'm going to unmute everybody really quick. Uh, let's make some noise and cheer for Kevin, the MVP. Thank you. Woo! Uh, thanks, thanks so much uh, for joining us, Kevin. And um, I, I really, uh, I think I just muted you. I sure did. There we go. Um, uh, how do people stay in touch with you if they want to, um, you know, follow you, keep in touch, find more of your books? What's the best uh, route? So on social, it's KC Catalyst with the K. So all my social is the same. So K-C-K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. That's how you find me. And so put that at on there. You can at me, right? And come and find me there. That's probably the easiest way to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks for everybody for hanging out with the Idea Fountain and listening. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Idea Fountain. You know what would be really awesome is if you left a review on the podcast you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, Spotify. It really means a lot, and it also means a ton when you uh, share the Idea Fountain with friends. If there's anything I can do for you, hit me up. It's juliepilot.co, J-U-L-I-E, P-I-L-A-T dot co. And I'll catch you next month.